0: This is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Canira. Thanks for joining us. The new book, La Florida, Catholics, Conquistadors, and Other American Origin Stories, opens with a story that takes place in what's now Florida in the fall of 1565, when Spanish explorer Pedro Menendez de Viles celebrated a feast day of commemoration with his men after their successful landing at the future site of the town of St. Augustine. The celebration had many of the same trappings as what we think of when we recount the story of the first Thanksgiving, celebrated 56 years later in the fall of 1621 by pilgrims in Plymouth Plantation, but it's not considered the, quote, first Thanksgiving. Why is that? Well, in his new book, Dr. Kevin Cocomore, who teaches American history at Coastal Carolina University in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, seeks to answer that question. La Florida explores the Spanish thread to early American history that is probably unfamiliar to most Americans and reveals how it was spanish influence, not English, that drove much of America's early history. I spoke with Dr. Kokamore about his new book, which is a fascinating read if you're into American and Spanish history. Let's hear that conversation now. Professor Kokamore, welcome to Gulf Coast Life.
1: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: So for starters, just tell us a bit about yourself and your background and academic areas of interest and you know what got you into history in the first place.
1: Sure. Well, I am uh, originally from a little bit north of you uh, in a small little town called Inglewood. I was uh, born in Jacksonville, but my family moved to Inglewood shortly after I was born. So uh, I am from Southwest Florida, uh, and I went to school at USF in Tampa, and I got my degree and my master's. And I always was doing early American history, um, and I always had a... I I always enjoyed Florida in the Southeast. And so I worked with the Florida study center when I was at USF and then I went to Florida state. And when I went to Florida state, I actually ended up doing native American, uh, the Native American history of of the Southeast, Creeks, Seminoles, so the Southeast has always really been uh, a personal love of mine and also academically. So almost everything that I've done has really involved Florida and the Southeast in one way or another. And so when I moved up here to Myrtle Beach, uh, this was my first sort of full-time job right out of grad school, uh, I was really lucky to sort of more or less stay in the Southeast. It's not exactly the same place, but uh, going from being on the water to still being on the water it's pretty nice and it's got a lot of really rich southeastern colonial and native american history in its own right you know four or five hours from saint augustine two from charleston and so uh it's it's a really excellent place to be to study and teach what I like to study and teach.
0: Cool. Uh, let's start with some relatively low-hanging fruit, but also something I think most people probably don't realize or know. What is the origin of the name Florida, or La Florida, as it was originally known?
1: So it has something to do with the lush vegetation, the lush vegetation, uh, although not as much as people sort of assume. it It is associated with a catholic calendar of feasts and saints and when the spanish are in the southeast they really aren't in the gulf and the lower atlantic equally throughout the year because they picked up pretty quickly that starting in the summer it is pretty dangerous you not only do you have summer storms but the the real killer is the hurricane season and so even though being in the Gulf or the early, or the, the, the lower Southeast, uh, the Atlantic, isn't very safe uh, in March and April and May, because you still have cold fronts, it is a lot safer than being there in August, September and October. So you see these early Spanish maps and there is uh, there's a lot of overlap in the names. Uh, there are a lot of rivers are named after Spiritus Santo. a lot of rivers are named after saints, A lot of rivers share the same names and that's because in spanish maritime custom you name the land masses or the rivers or the bays you name your discovery based off of the feast or the saint on that calendar day and so a lot of them are the same because they're really only sailing around the same like four or five months and so you get the same days over and over again and Florida is uh, Pascua, Florida. It is it is a feast day, and so that's the day that the men in Juan Ponce de Leon's voyage, you know, sight land. Um, and you could say that the the larger St. Augustine sort of coastline is lush. I mean, I wouldn't say that it's not, but to say that it's it's the place of flowers because it's the place of flowers. Uh, it's not as lush as where they sail from, right? I mean, they sailed from the Caribbean, so they're coming from, San Domingo and Puerto Plata. They're coming from the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico. So, the coastline of Florida is much sandier and less tropical. So, it it is a lush area. I'm not saying that that has no that has no relation to the naming of it, but the the primary naming of it comes from when they saw it, and they and that is that is simply the day, when you look down at the calendar, that's it.
0: So had they been a week later or a week earlier, Florida may have been called something completely different.
1: Could have been called something totally different. You're exactly right. There are, there are hundreds of random rivers and bays that are named... Uh, all sorts of different crazy saints and feasts. And Florida was just one of those. Yeah, it could have been totally different. Hmm.
0: So what's the origin story behind this latest book of yours? La Florida, Catholics, Conquistadors, and other American origin stories. Uh, kind of grew out of the pandemic from what you wrote in the intro, right?
1: At, exactly. And the, the acknowledgement in the intros is kind of a weird acknowledgement and a weird intro, because usually there's a lot of libraries and a lot of travel and a lot of people to thank and i still had a lot of people to thank but in this case most of this was written in my office in my room and uh it was written over the course of uh the pandemic and you know it it, it obviously was a really chaotic and a, and a really painful time for a lot of people but uh for those who like to write um it actually could be uh, a positive because you're you're basically forced to do a lot of writing that's exactly what happened to me i I was writing originally what was supposed to be sort of like a large article because a lot of really important, I guess, you know, air quotes, important anniversaries were coming up. In, in 2019 was 1619 and then in 2021 was 1621. And these are these really important anniversaries of slavery and the anniversaries of the first Thanksgiving. And I'm sitting here thinking about the florida examples or the examples that sort of complicate those stories and all of that sort of came about at the at the same time i sat down and i said well hey you know 1619 is a really important day in the history of slavery in the southeast but there were already slavery already existed in the southeast and same thing with thanksgiving And the article project just kept getting longer and longer. And I started looking at it and saying, maybe this is a book. And then right around that time, I was stuck at home. And so it just sort of took shape.
0: And um, what you outline in this book, or you actually more than outline, you dig very deeply into it, is sort of the dividing line between uh, the New World's Protestant origins and the New World's Catholic origins. And what we have been taught as You know, modern Americans really stems out of those Protestant origins, not the Catholic origins, which are even deeper, right?
1: Absolutely. And that is an excellent example that I use throughout the book. It's it charts connections and it charts origins. And that one, the Protestant versus the Catholic, is is really central throughout the whole book. And it it goes to the introduction. It's one of the introductory examples, which is the first Thanksgiving. and the first Thanksgiving is this um, beautiful origin story about success and native appreciation, and and it just it just uh, it just doesn't make sense if you if you add Florida in because that had already taken place and Florida already existed, and it really just shows that 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 story of the first thanksgiving is a powerful one it is an important one it's not that it didn't happen but it is just one of several stories that explain the origin of America and some really important ones you know not to not to nitpick you know or not to argue a lot of really important ones don't involve Protestants they involve Catholics and it is a very strong connection that you know if if you want to get technical about it yeah it does Absolutely, objectively predate the Protestant ones. And that goes to that really important question the whole idea of the mythology of the growth of American colonies is that it's English, it's Protestant, it's not Catholic, it's not Floridian.
0: You grew up interested in history, you studied history, you got your PhD in history. How much of the kinds of stuff you highlight in this book? through the lens of this book, are stuff that you were taught growing up or that you had to then sort of learn your way into to highlight it here?
1: Oh, well, you know, growing up in Florida, uh, we are taught a little bit about that early history. We are taught about Florida's unique history. And that obviously um, influences or influenced me. You're, You're taught about Pedro Menendez Aviles, and you're taught about St. Augustine. But even then, even, you know, being raised as a Florida, and you're still taught about it as sort of like this this oddity, right? It's there. Um, it was, you know, technically the first, but it really doesn't fit. It's one of those things. It's one of the, It's something that is important, but even being in Florida, it's still sort of left out. It's still sort of this oddity that doesn't really make sense. And you talk about it, and you talk about it, you know, technically being the first Thanksgiving, and then you dismiss it. And then you go back to talking about the real first Thanksgiving, right? The Puritan one, the Pilgrim one. And so even in Florida, while you are taught a lot more of your local history, it still is a local history that that doesn't really influence the larger narrative. You know, another example, which we are obviously taught as Floridians more than most Americans are, is the whole idea of the fountain of youth, right? Which I add a chapter middle of the book where, I mean, that's just absolutely a, a myth. And it really is a myth that's designed to, to really counter or obscure or even sort of bury the, the real reasons why Spaniards came to Florida, which was, it was for the Catholic faith, it was for conquest, it was for subjugation, or right, the first Spaniards, even before Juan Ponce de Leon to really make their way to the East Coast of what is now Florida and Georgia and South Carolina. I mean, they were there to steal people. They were slave raiders. And so you wonder why someone or why people would want to believe that Juan Ponce de Leon was here for the mythical fountain of youth. It's because it sounds a whole lot better than slave raiding, for sure.
0: You hear this term, you know, the winners are who write history. Is that sort of why the founding mythology that we think of as the, you know, baseline history of America, quote unquote, you know, sort of cultural winners were the, 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 the Protestant, the British colonies? That's sort of the, the original roots. So that's how the story has been told.
1: Yeah, I think that's an excellent description of it because even though Florida, even though what we call La Florida early is like all of the Southeast. I mean, it goes all the way up to Virginia, all the way over to Tennessee, all the way to Texas, even though that is claimed by the Spanish. Within like 100 or so years, it's nothing but the South Carolina coastline and then St. Augustine. And then within another 100 years, it's just St. Augustine. So the Spanish lose their grip on the Southeast and they are confronted by the growth of english colonists not so much in new england but the english colonies in virginia and then the carolinas they win that war right and so florida shrinks carolina grows georgia grows and if there is this colonial competition for the native southeast the spanish absolutely lose it and i actually talk about that in a a lot of multiple In in, in a lot of places in the book, and it's a very violent conquest of, of the native population of Florida. I mean, they are, in a lot of ways, demographically destroyed. And so, yeah, the winners write the history. And in this case, the winners are the Carolinians, for sure.
0: I'd like to take a moment to reintroduce my guest, Dr. Kevin Cocomore, teaches American history at Coastal Carolina University in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. His classes and his work focus mainly on colonial and Native American history. We're discussing his latest book, La Florida, Catholics, Conquistadors, and Other American Origin Stories, which came out a few months ago and is available now wherever you find books. If you'd like to engage with the show about today's topic, just find us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and X. Um, You mentioned uh, slavery. You mentioned how the, the Spanish conquistadors and explorers were here in some ways because of slavery. Um, when we talk about slavery in America, as commonly understood, particularly you mentioned the 1619 uh, date and the New York Times project, um, but slavery existed in Florida for a century before Jamestown even existed, Right.
1: Yeah, in one way or another, yes, absolutely, and it is—it's complicated. It's a complex story because the first systems of oppression, the first systems of unfree labor, they are native, and you know, or or they're not native in origin. They are there to exploit native labor. So you're talking about the encomienda system. You're talking about the repartimiento system. You're talking about uh, in Florida the sabana system, which more or less builds uh saint augustine and sustain saint augustine's population and that is an extension of of exploitation in the caribbean i mean natives move into the or or spaniards i'm sorry move into the caribbean and they just devastate these these caribbean islands and florida is an extension of the caribbean i like to teach that in class Um, it's not you know the southernmost extension of the south it's the northernmost extension of the caribbean basin and the Hmm. Gulf of mexico and south carolina uh and florida cuba the yucatan these early connections are all about finding labor, unfree labor, to essentially bring back to Caribbean islands because the natives are just devastating the Caribbean islands. And the the direct connection between South Carolina and Florida is the Bahamas, is that Spaniards are moving from lower Caribbean islands or central Caribbean islands, sort of like what we now know as uh, Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico, they are systematically slave raiding all of the, the Bahamas until there is like literally no one left. And then if you just look at a map and draw a straight line from Puerto Plata on the north side of the Dominican Republic through the Bahamas, where do you end up? You end up on the east coast of what is now the United States of America. So the very earliest connections between the southeast are connections based off slavery. That's a native slavery. Spaniards also had connections to the west coast of Africa that really set off the first Atlantic slave trade. The first Atlantic slave trade was a Spanish and a Portuguese slave trade from the west coast of Africa into the Caribbean, into South and Central America. And even if we're talking about the Atlantic slave trade that brings unfree people from the west coast of Africa to colonial holdings in the southeast, that too was Spanish. And I make that uh, one of the bookends, I make that the conclusion by basically saying, you know, 1619 is this incredibly important date in the history of slavery in the Southeast. It absolutely is. But 1619 is this moment where slave raiders sell human beings in Virginia that just sailed past Florida. And slavery existed in St. Augustine already, I mean, going back to DeSoto, going back to the earliest attempts to colonize Florida, going back to the 1530s, 40s, and 50s. So there is slavery of multiple distinctions in Florida, and that includes chattel ownership of property and human beings via the Atlantic slave trade. That existed in in St. Augustine and East Florida for literally 60 or 70 years before Jamestown.
0: Um, But Spanish Florida also later served as a refuge for escaped British colonial slaves. Right. To make it even more complicated.
1: It it is. It's it's an excellent example of how complicated this is because there were enslaved natives. There were people of uh, African descent that were slaves of private Spaniards that lived in Florida. There were slaves that were the that were owned by literally the crown. They called them royal slaves, but that they were still owned human beings. And that represents the most dehumanizing, objectifying ideas of shadow slavery. Absolutely. But at the same time, in the same place, you had the idea of free African-American communities. And Spaniards had that distinction. Um, There was that distinction. Uh, It's not to say that it was any less oppressive than the English system, but it was more complicated. And, And a lot of enslaved people could find freedom through a number of different ways. They could could essentially buy their freedom. They could earn their freedom through military service. And very early on, going back to the 17th century, Spaniards see runaway slaves fleeing South Carolina as a weapon that they can use against the growth of plantation slavery in the Carolinas. And what they essentially do is they create armed free... African-American free black communities on the frontier between Spanish Florida and South Carolina. And they, they pose this incredible threat to the expansion of the plantation system in South Carolina. And so, yes, in this same place at the same time, in the 1680s, you have an enslaved population of St. Augustine and you have a, a free population of St. Augustine at the same time.
0: Um, in the time we have left, let's lighten it up a little bit. Um, another thing you highlight in your book is the connection between uh, Spanish Florida and uh, what we think of now as barbecue. Can you highlight that for us?
1: Yeah, it's um, several examples of the way that this tradition that, that uh, has really sort of Shrunk down and died away over over the years. This tradition of La Florida, the Spanish, the larger Spanish Southeast. Well, that didn't last very long. Like I said earlier, St. Augustine was just about all that's left. But there's lots of examples of um, a heritage that is that you can still see that has origins in the Spanish colonialist period. So oranges are an excellent example. Cattle is an excellent example. And one of the most popular examples would be barbecue because Spaniards brought the pigs natives smoked the meat, right? So Spaniards brought pigs with them basically everywhere they went. And that's pure Colombian exchange because pigs don't exist in North and South and Central America anywhere in the Caribbean until they're brought there by Europeans. And the first to the first European column would be colonizers to bring pigs are the Spaniards. And we have primary source records. We have DeSoto basically saying, I brought pigs from Cuba. And when Spaniards bring pigs that in of itself, that doesn't create barbecue because Spaniards already have their cooking traditions for pigs and they don't smoke meats. I'm not saying that no one in the old world never smoked meats ever, but that wasn't their tradition for eating pigs. They had matanzas, they had pig roasts, they cure pig parts, It's, it's all very delicious, but it's not barbecue. Natives cured fish and other meats by smoking it over barbacoas, raised wooden platforms. And it's clear that they would use Low heat because it's a wooden platform. If it got too hot, it would you know light on fire. So it is a raised wooden platform over a fire. It's used to slow cook and therefore cure meats. And a lot of the primary source record, it's fish, because you you know you live on the coast and the southwest and southeast coast of Florida. Fish is clearly what you're gonna have on hand. So the natives smoke to preserve and cure. The Spaniards bring pigs, uh, one plus one equals two. We have that uh, in the primary record, you know, we have DeSoto saying in passing, "Hey, I gave a couple of pigs here, I gave a couple of pigs there, we roasted a couple on the barbacoa." And there it is. There's your first I mean that's you know, that's that's objective historical fact as as far as you can find it in the primary source. You know, you're adding pigs to curing techniques and we have our first barbecue.
0: And so Florida's feral pigs are at least partly uh genetically Spanish.
1: Yes, it's Again, it gets a little more complicated than that because uh, they're not the the Spaniards are not the only ones to bring pigs. So there's a little bit of a a little hodgepodge of all the different genetic uh, lineages of pigs. But uh, the short answer is that yes, that um, pigs get out, especially the pigs that they bring. They bring these cerdos ibéricos, these black Iberian black-footed pigs, and there are certain places along the coast. I'm thinking. There's a island off of it's Osaba off off of the South Carolinian and Georgia coast, and they have a feral pig population that is genetically identical to the black footed Ibera coast that the Spaniards brought. So we use that as an excellent example. Um, they're, they're genetically the same because they were released on islands and they didn't really get to intermingle with any of the other pigs. So they basically stayed the same in the Southeast. You know, who knows what happened? But yeah, they are lean, they are mean, they look different. but they are basically ancestor, their direct ancestors. If you could go back far enough, they are the pigs that De Soto brought with him hmm. in 1539.
0: Well, that is, unfortunately, all the time we have. I want to thank my guest, Dr. Kevin Kokemore, is an author, and he teaches American history at Coastal Carolina University in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We've been discussing his new book, La Florida, Catholics, Conquistadors, and Other American Origin Stories. Dr. Kokemore, thank you so much for your time and your historical insights.
1: Uh, Thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure.
0: If you missed any of the show, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website, wgcu.org GCL, or wherever you find podcasts. Our show today was produced by yours truly. Our director today is Jared Gonzalez. Our social media coordinator is Bianca Massoni. For now, thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. This is WGCU-FM, Fort Myers 90.1, WMKO Marco Island 91.7 FM. We are NPR for Southwest Florida.